Wow. It's been a week. I ask you to take your Bible and turn to John chapter 4. You've not heard me say that in seven days. But yes, we're still in John chapter 4. When you get to John chapter 4, go to verse 43. It's on page 1,225 in your pew Bible. I had originally thought that perhaps after last week, chapter 4 was it for us and we were going to move someplace else. But then as I started opening up God's Word and reading it on Sunday afternoon and on Monday morning, God said, chapter 4 is not even over yet. I said, yes, Lord. And so we are in John chapter 4. We will stand and read that here in just a minute. But I need to tell you that I need a little bit of encouragement right this second. I need to know that something that I do that I'm not alone in, okay? So you guys just let me sort of tell you what I need encouragement is. The other day, I walked out of my office to another part of the church. And when I arrived at that other part of the church, I had forgotten why I went to that other part of the church. (laughs) Only to walk back to my office to almost immediately realize what I had gone to the other side of the church for. So I go back, this time, to that other part of the church, going over, saying over and over again, out loud, so I don't forget why I went there. <laughs> I've had conversations with people this week with the express interest of speaking to them about a particular item, only to walk away about speaking at with having spoken to them about a number of different things except for the item that I expressly went to talk to them about. The other day, I was supposed to stop by the pharmacy on the way home and didn't, recognizing my mistake as I was pulling into my driveway. Please, somebody tell me I'm not alone. Somehow, I knew I wasn't alone, but you admitting it in public helps me to be able to do that. Or how about this? You've heard about the phrase, chasing a rabbit. It's a common term used when a speaker diverts off course of the topic. Many times, probably most times, well-intentioned, but in the end, it pulls them away from the topic at hand, wastes time, and really does not work out. So I spent some time thinking about that, and I recall myself in this pulpit telling what I believed was a very good and pertinent story or example to the get to the end of that story to realize that I had forgotten why I brought that story up to begin with. You guys have been witness to that. I, you may have even gone that way yourself. Do you know that good intentions do not always lead to good execution? That might be something you want to write down on the bottom of your notes right here. Good intentions do not always lead to good execution. Like I intended when I walked up here during the welcome time, and I'm just going to take just a second to do that. On the bottom of these notes, men, we're having a chili cook-off on the 27th of February. 14 men signed up last Sunday when I did this. I don't need you 14 men to sign up again. I need about 15 more of you men to say I'll be a part of it. And the way you do that, is to tear off the bottom of this, write chili, write your name beside it, and put it in the offering basket when you leave, and I'll get you officially signed up for the February 27th 
men's chili cook-off church-wide fellowship that happens at 5 p.m. See, I had good intentions to say that during the welcome. But good intentions don't always lead to good execution. Amen? I ask you to stand with me as we read from the book of John chapter 4. We're going to read verses 43 to 54, which is the remainder of the chapter. Let's read that together. John chapter 4, picking up in verse 43. says, Now after the two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he, that would be the nobleman, went to him, Jesus, and implored Jesus to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to them, said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. And as he, and, and as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him saying, your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives, and he himself believed and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he came out of Judea into Galilee. Keep your scripture open. Keep your notes handy. You may be seated. Verse 43 starts off with this phrase, now after two days. Now, these two days, we talked about them over the last three weeks. These two days are what I'm going to call for the purpose of our few minutes here together, the Samaritan revival. Now, you remember them, I'm sure. Jesus meets a woman at the well. She comes to faith in Christ. She lets her life change because of Jesus become contagious, and she goes in and shares it with the townspeople who come out of town who meet Jesus, and they come to faith in Jesus, and they ask Jesus to stay a little while in town. And Jesus does, and Scripture tells us that many come to know Jesus because of her testimony, and then many more come to know Jesus because of Jesus speaking to them. So verse 43, we're coming off of a Samaritan revival, it says that he departed and went to Galilee. Now, we must remember, and it's going to take us a month to go back, but we must remember that Galilee was Jesus' original destination. If you read in verse 3 of John chapter 4, it says that he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Now, we keyed on verse 4 that said, but he needed to go through Samaria. We, don't, we need to make sure that we understand that Jesus had an intention to go to Galilee, but he also had a stop he desired to make in Samaria. So Jesus is completing his original intention, his trip. And again, Scripture told us, as we read there, that this is not Jesus' first trip to Galilee. 
Verse 44, Jesus makes a prophetic statement. He says that uh, no honor, a prophet has no honor in his home country. So we need to understand that Galilee that Jesus is going back to, that Jesus was originally desiring to go to, Galilee that he had been to before, is Jesus' home. You see, Nazareth is in Galilee. And Jesus makes this statement about a prophet having no honor in their home country very early in his ministry. And Galilee becomes a place where Jesus, as we read further in Scripture, is treated poorly. But we're not going to chase that rabbit today. Except to point out one thing. Look at verse 45. The Galileans received him. Huh. This is perhaps to some a contradiction. It says, Jesus said, a prophet has no honor in his home country. But then verse 45, right after this, Jesus was received by the Galileans. I don't believe this is a contradiction because if we read on, their receiving of Jesus came with conditions. Look at verse 45. They received him having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem. Let me give you a Jeff paraphrase for that. They received Jesus because they wanted what he could do for them. If you were to go back in John chapter 2 where Jesus had been working, let me just go ahead and do that for us. John chapter 2, you don't have to turn there, I've got it. Verses 23 to 25, it says, And when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Look at John chapter 3, verse 2. It says, This man came to Jesus by night, saying to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with them. You're going, Jeff, that's cynical. You mean that people were coming to Jesus only because they wanted him to do something for them. That's cynical, Jeff. People aren't like that. Are we? You see, that's not an uncommon belief structure. Many of us today... We desire Jesus for what he does for us. When we should simply desire Jesus because of who he is. If we who claim Christ are challenged in in this manner, if we Christians who have come to know Jesus, we struggle over are we following Jesus because of who he is and he's worthy of it, or are we following Jesus because of what he does for us and in our lives the benefits that we can receive from him, if we as Christians who have come to know Christ struggle with this, just imagine the mindset of the people and the heart of the people who have yet to come to know Jesus. Jesus is a place that people who don't know Jesus turn when there's a need in their life. They turn to Jesus because of what they believe he can do for them. So here's a question I would like for us to 
Think about, are you seeking Jesus because of something you need or want? You see, I've had conversations with many people, some in this church and some in my own family and some outside of my family, and when things are really challenging, regardless of what our spiritual condition is and what it was before, when the need pops up, man, we really want to get close to God. That tells me that we really want to get close to God because we need God to do something for us. We're not getting close to God because of who he is, because see, if you're getting close to God because of who he is, you're already close to God because he is who he is all the time. Amen? Did I lose anybody in that statement? You guys think about that a second. That'll settle in, okay? But, or, are you seeking Jesus because he's worthy? And let me test your worthiness. If you say you're you're following Jesus because he's worthy. Will you follow Jesus because he's worthy if not another good thing from God occurs in your life? That's a lot to take in, isn't it? You see, it's when the challenging things of life happen that we really find out what we believe about God. I know this. Verse 46, Jesus goes again to Cana. Now, Cana is in Galilee, and Jesus had once been invited to a wedding with his mother and the disciples in Canaan. You can go to John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, and read about that. This is the site of Jesus' first miracle or sign. He turned the water into wine. And I encourage you, go and read that. Because if you go and read that, what Jesus did, very few people knew about. The master of the wedding didn't know about it, but the servants of the wedding did because they're the ones who had to go get the water and they're the ones who saw it become wine. And that's important to understand. No doubt in the time since the wedding, which I don't know the period of time, the word had spread about what Jesus did at the wedding. You know, we like to spread about what Jesus does. So word had gotten out. And some people received him. It says because of the signs in Jerusalem and in the signs in Canaan. Jesus had been doing and doing and doing and doing. And people had been coming and coming and coming and coming. And sometimes they were coming because of who he is. You know, and that's when Scripture really separates things, when people come to Jesus for who he is. They stop coming to Jesus because of what they need him to do. Verse 46, a certain nobleman with a sick child came to Jesus. He had heard that Jesus had come to Galilee. Now, we're talking about... Big trans, we're talking about good news here, big news. This guy's over 20 miles away, but he hears that Jesus is there. Word travels fast. When there's a need, we'll do anything when we have a need. And this nobleman came to see Jesus because he had a need. His, sick, his child was sick. So he came to Galilee. This man came from Capernaum. 
Capernaum is in the northeast corner of the land of Galilee, sitting on the northwest bank of the Sea of Galilee. And you're going, Jeff, you just gave a bunch of different directions. Just go look on the map. You'll see exactly where it is. This nobleman, this father, traveled 20 to 25 miles to come to see Jesus on behalf of his son. And in verse 47, he tells Jesus, he tells us his son was at the point of death. This father, in verse 47, implored Jesus, begged Jesus, asked Jesus to come down and heal his son. Now, did you notice that the father had a limited understanding of Jesus? Two things you can see in there that would help us understand that. He believed that Jesus needed to be with his son in order for his son to be healed. We know that not to be true. Jesus was with people when he healed them. Jesus was not with people when he healed them. God can do whatever God desires to do from whatever distance God wants to do it in. Amen? So this man believed, Jesus, you've got to come down. You've got to be right here with my son while he's sick. And then he also believed that Jesus needed to hurry because he was about to die. And this man somehow believed that once death came, Jesus would not be affected. You're going, Jeff, how do you know that? Well, you're just reading into the Scripture here just a little bit. When we only seek Jesus for what he can do for us or what we want from him, we will not fully understand who he is. It's when we take time to be in his word and to be in silence and to be in prayer and to go through tough times and to seek him and to praise him and to worship him, then and only then can God begin to reveal who he really is to us. Again, I'll ask this question. Do you want Jesus for who he is? Or are you seeking Jesus for what? He can do for you. Now, verse 48, Jesus responds to this man. Verse 48 says, he said to him. But the interesting thing is, is that we get to know what Jesus said. And so Jesus is speaking to this man, but Jesus is speaking in such a way that everybody around gets to know what's being said. So we need to understand that Jesus is not just talking to this man. And we also see what he said. Verse 48, Jesus said, unless you people, now anything that contains the word you people is probably not a complimentary statement getting ready to happen here. But it says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now I stopped right here for just a second and I always want to encourage you, stop in God's word. If you don't understand something, if you don't clearly get it, stop and spend some time on it. So I did this week. This is a very complex statement that I believe has various meanings that I'm going to take just a moment and share with you those meanings that I got. Verse or meaning number one could potentially be this. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. That's what Jesus said. Jesus is making the statement as a rebuke yeah. to the man and to the people gathered Jesus, that Jesus believes that they are seeking him only because of what he can do for them. But that they are unwilling to desire or to make him Lord. Jesus is saying, 
These people are selfish. You know, it's interesting. Jesus had just left the two-day Samaritan revival where many had come to know Jesus simply because of his word, who he was. You realize that at the Samaritan revival, that we'll call it, Jesus didn't have to do any signs. People accepted him because of who he was. So people, Jesus could have made that statement because people are selfish. Number two way to look at it could be, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Jesus, again, is making this statement as a rebuke to the man and to the people gathered. He's challenging them that they somehow need Jesus to prove something to them before they would be willing to believe. Now, have you ever been that way? You've seen this. You heard people say, Lord, if you'll do this, I'll do this. You're asking God to prove himself to you. This type of thinking makes God our slave and not our Lord. We put God in our pocket and we call him out when we need something. It's like some kind of genie in a bottle. These people who need God, who need Jesus to prove who he is before they will believe, these people are just cynical. You see, Jesus had just left a two-day Samaritan revival where many had believed simply because of his word, who he was. Third way to look at it that I saw this week is Jesus said, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Jesus is not making this statement as a rebuke. He is simply making a statement recognizing the spiritual state of man in general. You see, in that day, and likely in this day, seeing is believing is a common philosophy in our lost world. That these people that Jesus is saying this to, they do not believe they are rejecting him. They're not focused on God at all. This is just a simple mindset that they have. They do not know another way to think or feel. These people are just uninformed. So Jesus is talking to the selfish, Jesus is talking to the cynical, and Jesus is talking to the uninformed. And those are three distinct and different directions. So I prayed about these and sat about these and studied these a little bit and about what Jesus said and his intentions, and I settled that Jesus' intention and God's Word is so deep and so thorough that all three statements could be reasonable and practically to be accepted, that Jesus was speaking to people in general, and people in general are either selfish, cynical, or uninformed. I mentioned chasing rabbits. I'd like to introduce you to three rabbits. These rabbits are actually people, real people, that I have had the opportunity to become involved with within the last 10 days. But I'm changing their names for this example. There is Flopsy. I, I couldn't get more creative. It was already out there for me, okay? There's Flopsy. Let me tell you about Flopsy. Flopsy just found out that they were sick. 
Flopsy reached out to me because they said, I am close to the man upstairs. Flopsy claims to know God. Flopsy has not and is not actively in church or seeking God. Flopsy is desperate for God to help him and believes that I can somehow, with my relationship with the man upstairs, I can somehow work this out. Not only is there Flopsy, but there's Mopsy. Mopsy has recently found out they were sick. Yes, another one. Mopsy is clearly not a believer upon conversation. Mopsy is desperate for help. Mopsy states that if God will heal him, that Mopsy would consider coming and becoming a believer in God. I'm not making this up. Selfish. Cynical. And then there's Peter Cottontail. Peter has recently found out that they were sick. Peter claims to be a believer in Christ because they grew up in a Christian home. Peter is not actively seeking God or in church. Peter is desperate for help. Upon taking time to share about God, his purposes, his plans, and his desires for us, Peter looks at me as if I am saying something that he has never heard before. Have you ever spoken to somebody and you think you're talking complete, logical, reasonable statements of truth, and they look at you and you just go, you have never heard this before. Selfish, cynical, uninformed. Last 10 days, church, reaching out to me. I don't know why these seek Sick people are reaching out to me unless I'm sick too. And we know that's true. God in His goodness has taught me spiritual insight to Jesus' statement. You see, the world is full of rabbits. I mean, people who do not have the appropriate view of Jesus. The nobleman said to Jesus, after whichever one of these three rebuke, he heard. He said, sir, come down before my child dies. This father, in the face of rebuke, in the face of challenges, had a decision to make. He could give up or he could give in. That's our battle every single day day. We will either give up and walk away, or we will be challenged, see another way, and give in. We will surrender. This nobleman, this father, humbled himself, came back to Jesus, would not walk away. He understood that Jesus was his only hope. And Jesus sees this in the father. He notices something has changed in the father. And in verse 50, Jesus says, go your way, your son lives. Jesus did not respond, church, because this man wanted a sign. Or this man needed a miracle. Jesus responded because he saw even the slightest grain of faith in this man's life. How do we know? Verse 50, it said, so the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, 
and he went home. Believe equals faith. Jesus will always respond to faith. This man believed my son's going to be okay. How do we know this? Because he left. He went back home. He didn't even hurry back home. He was gone so long that his servants had already come to tell him the news, and somehow they met in the middle someplace. And they shared. They said, your son lives. And he said, well, what time? What time did this all happen? And they told me, he said, same time Jesus said, your son lives. Go your way. Faith. This faith in Jesus led a response from Jesus, led to a deeper faith in Jesus. Scripture teaches us that it then led to a sharing of the faith with others, which led more people, his family, coming to trust Christ. We must first trust who Jesus is before we can ever see what Jesus can do in our lives. You see these selfish, cynical, uninformed people? They got to trust Jesus before he will work in their lives. We must trust Jesus before he will work in our lives. So let's end this rabbit chase. I believe people who have not yet trusted Jesus as Savior are either selfish, cynical, or uninformed. I thought about that. I can't come up with the fourth kind of person. The answer to all three is the same. Pray for the lost. Accept the lost where they are and lead them to Jesus. But, you know, before we can do this, we must be serving Jesus for who he is, not what he can do. Now, it's okay for you to bring your needs to Jesus, but if you are not sold out to him, if you are not seeking him, and if you are not willing to accept his response in your need, you're not coming to him correctly. Because if Jesus is only Jesus when he does what you want him to do, then he's not Jesus to you. You must come to Jesus by faith. You must live a life of difference. Live for Jesus. And you must get in the chase. You must engage people about Jesus. Now, church, I know that it's 11.01. I know exactly what time it is. I need to ask you. There's a clock right back there. They tell me what time it is. It's been on the whole time. They've not started flashing it like, Jeff, well, you've got to get out of here. I need just a few more minutes of your time. As you guys know, uh, I will not get through this without crying. But let me tell you how faithful God is. As you guys know, I have cancer. And as you know, I'm going through daily treatments. 
And on February the 1st, I had treatment one, and if you keep up during the weekdays, this past Thursday was treatment day number eight. My routine every day, and I've tried to consciously make this a routine, is I leave here at 9.30. My appointment's at 10.30. I drive to Murfreesboro, and I'm listening to a sermon. And right now I'm going through a Tony Evans sermon series on the purposes of pain. God's really teaching me a lot. And I've got two or three songs, and you guys keep adding to my playlist when you send me stuff. And I'm listening to these songs, and I'm worshiping, and I'm praying. And it doesn't take an hour to get to where I'm going. And so I'm now in the parking lot, and I'm praying, and I'm having church. God has really shown up. And then I go in, and in this oncology room, I sit on this piano bench. Nobody's ever sitting there. I've made it mine. And every day I come in there and I sit on that piano bench and I go in just a few minutes early and I pray for everybody in that room because you see they either have cancer or helping people who have cancer or are walking with people who have cancer. And I do this, and then I go back, and, and I get on the radiation table. And I've been meeting, I've met seven radiation technicians so far, seven. I get to know them, I try to talk to them. And I lay on the table, and I'm there for about 15 minutes, and they got me holding this thing right here, and I'm just laying there holding this thing while this machine does whatever this machine's doing. And I'm praying. Lord, whatever you want this thing to do for my body, let it happen. Lord, if there are bad things that come from this, I'll thank you for it. If there are good things that come from this, I'll thank you for it. And then I pray one by one for every one of the seven radiation texts that I have seen so far. And I just pray. And I'm having church. And I've been talking to them in the transition up, and I've been talking to them on the transition down. And then as I'm leaving on the way home, I'm praying, and I'm praying. And I do this every day. Day one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And then we get to day eight. And I walk in on day eight. Same process. And I'm getting off the table on day eight. Same process. And radiation technologist number five, we'll call them, comes to me and just begins small talk. That quickly turns into God talk. And they said, I'd like you to pray for me. And I say, absolutely. And then I make this statement. 
I said, I want you to understand that this, I do not believe for a moment that this cancer is something that has happened to me. I believe that this cancer God has given to me, and I mean it as a gift, church, not as a, not as a, uh, uh, a judgment. And God has given this to me for many different reasons, but I'll tell you one reason I know he's given it to me right now is that I'm here right now to stand here and tell you God loves you. And inside, I'm a wreck. But on the outside, I'm that strong pastor guy. And I say, and tomorrow, I'm going to bring you my card because I walk in empty pockets and everything. I'm going to bring you a card. It's going to have my number on it. And I'll be praying for you. I pray for you every single day already. I've already prayed for you eight days already. And then I leave. And I'm going out to the car. And before I get to the car, the Lord is just breaking my heart for how good he is. For who he is. For what he is. And I can't leave because I'm sitting in the car and I'm texting Angela. And I'm going, you can't believe what God just did. And then I text a few other people and I go, it's time to go. And I can't. I'm going, I can't leave. I'm just sitting here in the parking lot just crying, worshiping God. And then I finally get it up to leave and, and I'm driving and then one of those songs that I've been listening to comes on and God just breaks my heart all over again. I have to pull over. And I'm just crying by the side of the road because he is so good. And then I finally pull myself together and I'm texting a few of you guys. And then I stop to get a bite to eat. Except I can't go in because the Lord reminds me again of how good he is. And I just spin there and I'm just puffy faced, crying at the goodness of God. Not one time, not one time am I worried about cancer. Not one time am I worried about treatments. Not one time am I worried about me because I see now, church, more than ever, that it's not what God does for me that makes him good. It's who he is. And when we allow people to see who God is, they will respond to him. So day nine arrives, and I walk into day nine. I got my card. It's the only thing I'm carrying. Got the card I promised to bring. And I see this person. And they see me, and we exchange the card. And this person says, I just want you to know that I've got a lot of needs in my life. But I felt in that moment yesterday that this is the man that I needed to talk to. And church, I claim nothing. You know me. I'm not much. But what God can do when we yield ourselves to him is without 
limits. Amen. Amen. People need to know who God is. Because when they understand who God is and they're selfish, God can break that. When they understand who God is and they're cynical, God can break that. When they understand who God is and they're uninformed, God can break that. But church, if we are trying to lead them to a God who will do many things for them, that is not truth. It's who Jesus is that we should be serving, that we should be seeking. And when we come to know who Jesus is, when that drives us every single day, who Jesus is, it will change our lives, and then we will begin to share Jesus with people everywhere, and people will be coming to Jesus everywhere, and then we will finally become doing those things that God has called us to do from the beginning. You see, what I'm going through is a vehicle for God. Now, I fully expect, just going ahead and tell you now, I fully expect that those side effects that I'm doing good with right now, I expect them to be showing up. Because this is a spiritual battle. And I'll tell you this, church, when you rise up, when you choose to help people understand who Jesus is, you better bet there's going to be some side effects. But I'll tell you this. Whatever I have felt so far and whatever I got coming in the side effect department, whatever I'm dealing with with cancer, whether it goes away or stays, I am so thankful that God has shown me who Jesus is. And church, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you, church, to say, I will live for Jesus. I'm waiting on you to step out. I'm waiting on you to step in. I'm waiting on you to share Jesus with people because that's where it's at. And we will know when we're doing it because we'll see people. We'll see people here. We'll see people responding. We'll see people getting saved. Not just here. I hope to report back to you one day that during cancer treatment, the Lord saves somebody. That's what I hope. Who'd have thunk it? Thank you for your time. I just couldn't walk away without giving that to you because God has blessed me with it. Amen? Now, church, I don't want you to respond because what God's done in my life or for me. I only want you to respond to who God is in your life. And you get to decide. And you get to live that way. I'll just tell you, in a time when maybe I should be poor-mouthing and feeling puny, I'm excited about getting treatments. Because God is worthy simply because of who He is. Amen?